Amen. You may be seated. As you're taking your seats, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew? Matthew chapter 21. You can find our reading this morning on uh, the Pew Bible page 826 if you're using that. Uh, We continue in our series through Matthew uh, by uh, coming to Jesus' teaching. Pastor Sean mentioned last week uh, that uh, Jesus has now come to Jerusalem for the final time in his earthly ministry. And so uh, we uh, saw Jesus come. We saw him cleansing and restoring uh, many various things. And now uh, we come to Jesus teaching with great authority, uh, but not uh, uh, unchallenged, but with great opposition. So let's turn our attention now to Matthew 21, beginning in verse 23. Beloved friends, hear now the living and active word of God. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus continued, What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went out to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They, that is the priests, said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Indeed, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let us pray to him now that we would be nourished by it this morning. Our Father in heaven, we come to your word today to receive, to receive Jesus above all things, to receive his benefits, to receive more faith, more strength of faith, more motivation in obedience. We come to your word, O Heavenly Father, that it would not return to you void. Do your work in us now by its power. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you immediately think of when you hear the word authority? First thing I think of is the sort of uh, uh, <clears throat> children's, uh, I call it a rhyme, it's not really a rhyme, it's the, the thing that we tell our kids, right? My house, my rules, right? That's authority. That's uh, especially authority when, uh, you know, your kids' friends come over and what do they say to their friends? My house, my rules, right? That's not quite how authority works, is it? Another thing that we might uh, say as we think about authority is uh, that famous phrase, according to whom? According to what? 
Who gave you that authority? This past week, I was in Atlanta with, uh, serving on the Committee of the Review of Presbyterian Records for uh, the PCA General Assembly. And many times, men would stand up and say things, and it would be followed by somebody saying, Says who? According to what? And so we argued for hours <laughs> as to who or what should happen. Another thing that may come to your mind is maybe uh, more sort of... Uh, uh, Provocative, right? When authority is rightly or even unrightly challenged, the phrase might be uttered, Don't you know who I am? Do you know who it is to whom you are speaking? Friends, you see that what comes to your mind as I ask the question, What do you think of when you think of authority? tells you a lot about your view of authority, generally, doesn't it? Authority can be something good, something to be followed, right? Many of you may be rule followers, that you don't really need to know why, but I know I'm not supposed to do that because the sign right in front of me says, don't do that. Others of you might be a little more like me, who look at a sign and say, according to who? Why do I need to follow that? Authority often fails in this life. I don't need to put my hope and my trust in earthly authorities. They need to be challenged. They need to be sometimes opposed. Others of you are more wise than either of those people. And it depends on the situation. It depends on the authority. It depends on the ruling, doesn't it? One thing is clear about authority. And the Bible tells this with clarity, that God has placed authority in the lives of humanity for their good. God has placed earthly authorities in our lives for good. Now, your immediate thought to me saying that tells you, again, your view of authority, doesn't it? Because many of you might, like me again, ask the question, What happens when it fails? What happens when it isn't good? The bottom line here, friends, is that our relationship with authority is very complex. Our relationship with authorities as persons, individuals, and organizations is complex. But Jesus comes in Matthew 21 to tell us that one authority and your relationship with that authority is not complex. Jesus comes and clearly teaches that unlike earthly authorities, his authority withstands challenge and opposition. And he invites us not to challenge or oppose him, but to willingly and joyfully submit to him in humility. So I want to take a look at Jesus' authority through three distinct challenges I think we see in the text. The first is that the priests, rather obviously, challenge Jesus' authority. I once saw a a video, I I would call it an unethical video, just to be clear, okay? Where some folks tried to prank places like museums and sports games by dressing up as construction workers and holding a ladder and seeing if they would just let them in. And sure enough, they would get into uh, ball games, museums, concert halls with impunity. 
Because nobody at the gate checked for credentials. Hey, where's your tag? Where's the thing that says, you know, uh, VIP to allow you backstage? No, they just saw and assumed these construction workers were supposed to be there. And so they let them in. They let them breeze right through. Jesus comes into the temple as a rabbi, as someone who ought to blend in, as someone who is doing something that is uncontroversial, coming to a place that there are other rabbis and doing what they do, teaching. But the chief priests want to know where his credentials are. They don't let him right in. They come and they demand that he tell them by what authority he is there. In fact, they actually ask two questions, even though it's sort of phrased as one. This is verse 23. First, by what authority are you doing these things? What authority do you have? And then secondly, who gave it to you? Where's your badge and how did you get it? Because according to the chief priest, at least by heavy implication, Jesus shouldn't be there. He's not welcome. What he's doing is disruptive. And what Jesus is seeking to do will hurt the chief priests and their authority. And so they come asking what seem to be reasonable questions. And to to understand this, we need to sort of transport ourselves back to that time. So you see, what would happen is, uh, as rabbis gathered together, as they got together to teach, it wasn't sort of like preaching, as we know now. It was a little more open forum. It would be as though Pastor Sean or I got up here and we said, unlike earthly authorities, Jesus' authority withstands challenges to it. And then we would pause and welcome feedback. Now, friends, we're not going to do that today. I do welcome feedback afterwards. But it's a very different, distinct practice. And so what, what was going on here is there was supposed to be this dialogue. The chief priests are not violating law. They're not even violating custom. Right? In coming and approaching Jesus and asking him to cite his sources, they're doing what they ought to do on one level. They're not doing anything out of the ordinary. And that tells us the other thing we need to know about rabbinic practice at the time. And that is original, innovative thought was discouraged. If you were going to teach something, you had to, as many of you did in high school and college, you had to put a footnote and say, so-and-so, another rabbi, agrees with me. His teaching is X, Y, and Z. Now, you may see sort of a problem with this. Who, who begins that chain, right? Who's the first one to not be cited? Well, according to the rabbis, it would be, of course, the Torah, God himself. God didn't need to justify himself. God's word was law. It was the law. It is the law. And so God doesn't need credentials, but rabbis do. And the chief priests <clears throat> go up And say, who's your source? By what authority do you teach these things? You're saying something that sounds weird. It sounds new. 
You need to tell us who else thought this or else we shouldn't listen to you. Up until that point, the chief priests are following the convention of the day. But the gospel gives us a little more, doesn't it? It tells us a little more about why they're asking these questions. Are they, by convention and custom, entitled to ask the questions themselves? Yes. But are they allowed to ask these questions for the reasons and in the way they are asking them? Of course, the answer is no. And so they go beyond the convention of the day and demand that Jesus give them even more. Not just, where's your credential? Not just, give us some citations here. They go beyond that and they ask the question, who gave it to you? Who taught you? Who told you that you could have this information? You're a carpenter from Nazareth. You're a nobody. You don't have a right to be here. From this, it's very obvious to tell that the chief priests are not doing their normal rounds, ensuring rabbinic practice is followed, but rather they are targeting Christ specifically. And they're seeking to discredit both him and his message. They seek to tear down not just Christ, but the gospel itself. They're not asking these questions in good faith. They're not going to accept any answer Jesus gives them. In fact, if you go down with me, uh, if you look ahead, spoiler alert, down to verse 43, we see what happens, don't we? We see that they, they actually aren't asking in good faith. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Jesus is not going to beat around the bush with the priests anymore, right? But we do have to admit it's kind of clever, isn't it? The priests are actually pretty cunning here. Do you remember who else was pretty cunning? Who else was pretty crafty? Perhaps even craftier than all of the other animals in the garden? You see, the chief priests are doing what... All opposition to Jesus has been doing since the beginning of time. They're trying to assert themselves as the highest authority rather than God. The chief priests ask, who gave you that authority? Implication, not us. And who are we? The chief priests. There's nobody above us, right? Wrong. Absolutely and totally wrong. Friends, so often those in positions of earthly authority do the same thing to us. And if we're deeply and seriously honest, those of us who have authority in this life, whether it be as parents in the home or as employers or managers in uh, the, 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 the secular world, the, the, the business, the corporate world, whether we're elders or deacons, whether we're people at the Committee of the Review of Presbytery Records, as prestigious as that is, there is always a temptation to be crafty and to use authority 
in ways which benefit us. The chief priests use their position and their station for personal gain. You, you almost have to ask, you almost have to wonder, are they just doing this to bully Jesus because they can? And on one level, I genuinely believe that's what's going on. That they have authority and they like to use it. Whether it's justified or not. So what should we do? What should we do, especially when the systems and the structures and the leaders and the authority around us fail us? What should we do? Well, quite frankly, I think we need to run to Christ. And for two particular reasons. The first is, he knows what that feels like. He himself is watching a systemic failure of leadership before his very eyes. The entire system of the temple had one particular purpose, which we'll see in a moment, and they fail spectacularly at that one thing they're supposed to do. And who else is let down more by that failure than Jesus? Than God in the flesh, coming to his own people, who are teaching about him. The second reason I think that we ought to run to Jesus in moments where our authorities fail is for the reason we all want. It's because Jesus will not stand for it. Jesus will not stand for that failure. Every knee shall bow and tongue confess one day that Jesus Christ is Lord precisely because he is. And there is no authority greater or higher than Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can challenge Jesus' authority with any degree of success. And so, friends, as the world's justice, dare I even say in this life, the church's justice fails you and me. Run to Jesus with the sure and certain hope. He knows what you are experiencing. He knows what you need. And he is coming to fix it. Not just fix it, but completely and utterly displace it with his perfect justice, his authority. But that's, just not, that's not just a glimpse for the future. Okay? We get a glimpse of that, actually. We get a glimpse of that coming reality through the second challenge we see in the text today. And that's Jesus' challenge. That's pretty terrifying in itself, right? But Jesus challenges the priest's authority. Right? Go back to the question with me. Right? Uh, uh, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Right? Jesus' potential response to this would seem pretty straightforward. Right? Show them the name badge. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Highest of the High, Alpha and Omega. Right? I am who I am. That's what Jesus could have done. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't do it because he's hiding himself, though. He doesn't do it because, as we've mentioned previously in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is ramping up to it, and he's still in that ramp up. No, no, no. Jesus is off the on-ramp. 
He's on the interstate. He's doing 80 miles an hour to the cross. And nothing is going to stop him at this point. So Jesus reveals who he is, but he does so in a very unique and clever way. He proves himself to be more clever than the priests. So when we read Jesus' answer, I will also will ask you one question. If you tell me that answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. It could be that Jesus is sort of giving a cop-out. It could seem that way. But actually, I think it's the opposite. I think Jesus is precisely and clearly declaring who he is. Jesus is saying, don't you know who I am? I am not to be questioned. I am not to be brought down. I am not an, a, 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 someone without authority, but I have the highest authority, and you, you may not question me. But he does it a lot better than that. <laughs> he does it a lot more gently than that. He does it with mercy and grace in mind. Jesus, instead of going full bore, instead of coming straight out, recognizes now is not the time. But he nevertheless reveals himself as the one who cannot be questioned, and he does so by using the priest's tactic against themselves. He turns it around. Uh, if you don't understand anything I'm about to say, it's okay. Go ask a teenager, okay? They won't understand what I'm about to say. There are these things on the Internet called memes, okay? Maybe you've heard of them. Maybe you have no idea what they are. Maybe you've heard of the word and you thought it's a mispronunciation of meek. It's not. Okay? They are jokes. They're sort of digital jokes. That's my best explanation. Okay? They're digital jokes. And one of the, the, the digital jokes, one of the memes that is prevalent today is sort of when somebody gets the upper hand on somebody else by using their tactic against themselves, they send someone a picture of an Uno card uh, with the reverse symbol on it. Right? They use their Uno reverse card. It's back on you. Right? It's sort of this generation's way of saying, whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you, right? You're glue and I'm rubber, right? That's their way of saying it these days, that they played the Uno reverse card. That's what Jesus is doing. He plays his Uno reverse card on the chief priests. He says, not so fast. But notice that Jesus doesn't challenge their credentials. He doesn't say, well, and who made you the chief priests? Who gave you authority? Now, Jesus challenges something far more important than their name badge. Jesus challenges their ability. Jesus admits that they have licenses to practice. But he says, you don't have skill. You're not good at your job you see, Christ doesn't try to escape their question. Christ turns it around on them and says, why did you permit John's baptism? If you have the authority, if you are the correct interpreters of the Bible, of the law, if what you says goes because you can point to this rabbi and, and that passage out of the Talmud and this oral tradition, if you can do that, then who's John? Who's John the Baptist? If he was wrong, 
If John was wrong, why did you let him continue to do it? If John was right, why didn't you believe him? Jesus traps the priests far better than they could have possibly hoped to trap him. And then we see a cop-out answer. This is where the cop-out is. Read it with me. This is the second half of verse 25. And the chief priests discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd. They all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, I don't know. The chief priests, the chief priests who are supposed to know the proper application of the law, who are supposed to be the highest earthly religious authority of their day. I don't know. We don't have a position. We don't have an opinion about what's going on. And you know who heard that answer? The crowds that Jesus was teaching. The people that they were so terrified of. And so the priests reveal themselves to be just like every other Israelite failure of a leader. They fear man rather than God. They fear not just man, but man taking away their position. They fear man taking away their power. They fear man taking away their authority. And in doing this, they misunderstand why they were given authority in the first place. They were given authority to reveal God to the people. This is what a priest does. A priest stands between the divine and the human and tells the divine how sorry we are and tells the human how good he is. This is why it was necessary, if we can go down a quick rabbit trail, this is why it was necessary for Jesus to be both fully God and fully man. That nobody else could stand in that position better than him because he understands God because he is God. But he understands you and me because he is human like you and me. The chief priests here fail at the one thing they're supposed to do. They're totally and completely inept at their one job because they fear humans instead of God Almighty. They would rather God be their enemy and people let them keep their station than be mocked and beaten and killed to give the grace of God to the undeserving. Friends, you have two leaders on full display in front of you in this text. Which one do you want? Which would you prefer? Would you prefer to be like the chief priests who are maliciously inept? Not just bad at their jobs, but maliciously so? Seeking not only to not reveal God to you, but to take you away from God? Or would you prefer Jesus, who gave up power and authority and status and position as he came down from heaven to be that humble carpenter of Nazareth? That he might die. That he might be beaten. That he might be mocked and scorned. 
but in doing so, provide a way for his sheep to live. Friends, the authority structures that we know in this life are bankrupt. The authority structures of this life, if they are not mirrored off the servant leadership of Christ, are useless. And so if you find yourself in leadership and in authority, yelling and pounding your fist more often than bringing close and whispering and loving, well, you're acting more like the chief priests. But if you decide to submit yourself to Jesus, if you decide to believe in him and in his way of authority and in his way of leadership, might I suggest that we would treat people a little differently than that. That we would not scatter but gather. That we would not try to be somebody, but that we would try to do something. Do something meaningful. Do something worthy of the honor of Christ. So friends, the question before us is pretty simple. What will you tell Jesus on Judgment Day? When he calls you to give an account for everything you've ever done as the most supreme and high authority in creation of anything ever, anywhere, When he asks you to give an account, what will you tell him? What will you do? What will you say? What will you think? Here's the beauty of Jesus' leadership. He doesn't leave you in the dark to wonder. But rather, he challenges you and the other hearers. This is our third challenge. He challenges you and the other hearers with his own authority. Christ illustrates his issue, the issue at hand with a parable. And we're about to get into a bunch of parables that begin to sort of teach about who Jesus is and his authority and his position. Because Christ has begun to confront, confront the chief priests, confront the leaders, confront the failures who have led God's people astray. And so he challenges all of the hearers, both the chief priests and the crowds that have gathered before him. He challenges them with a story, with a parable of two sons. Okay? Here's the, 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 the shorthand. Okay? Two sons are approached by the father and given the same task. And the first son says, now nah, I'm good, dad. I'm not going to go. But then he changes his mind and he does go. Whereas the second son says, yeah, dad, I got you. I'm going. I'll be there. And then never shows up. And Christ asks, which of them did the will of their father? Which of them did the right thing? Which of them obeyed the proper authority rather than setting up their own selves as an authority? Now take a couple quick notes about this parable that I think are incredibly important. First, no one is perfect in this parable. Neither of the sons are totally righteous in this parable. They're not supposed to be. Jesus is not showing how to be perfect. He's showing how to be obedient. Secondly, Christ emphasizes actions over words. 
This is what he did last week in cursing the fig tree. He walks over to the fig tree, you remember, because he sees that it has leaves. And he's like, oh, it's blooming. There must be fruit. And he shows up. And what does he not find? The words, if you will, of the fig tree were, come over here and get some fruit. But the actions, the fruit, were missing. So Jesus explains the same principle in a different way. And he asks the chief priests, who did it right? And they give their answer. And their answer is right. Let's cut them some slack. Their answer is correct. They interpreted Jesus correctly. But in doing so, what did they do? They condemned themselves. They proved themselves to be the second son. The ones who had the right words, who had the right interpretations, who had... Everything on paper correct. Their, their, their final exam was a 100. And then they left and did whatever they wanted. They left and did their own will instead of the will of God. Jesus contrasts this in this parable with those who initially tell God no. Does that sound familiar to you? Any rebellion in your own life? against God himself, telling him, no thanks, I'm good, I'm going to do this my own way. I'm going to be, as Jesus uses sort of as placeholders, a tax collector and a prostitute. That'll go well for me, right? I'll be greedy. I'll be greedy and immoral. But then as the prodigal son, they realize it's not all that it's cracked up to be. And that there is something better, someone better. Friends, you see, the issue here, again, is authority. Jesus challenges us with his authority, telling us by his decree, even those who don't get it right on paper, but go and do the will of the Father, they will enter the kingdom of heaven first. Not by their works, Not because they earn it, but because Christ has given us new hearts that we might now obey. You see, we might have interpretive issues. We might not always get this thing right. We may have issues on our final exams. But if we trust in Christ, if we heed his word, if we seek to follow him obediently as subjects of his kingdom, that we will be welcome. We will be there. And we will be there before those who thought they were better than us. The priests, while they get something right, they get something absolutely wrong. They thought their right answers would gain them something. And they will go to the point of flexing their authority by killing Jesus Christ himself. But it will earn them nothing. Because the apostles will go forth proclaiming the gospel and it will explode. Even to this day. Even in your life and in mine. Here's your answer to that question. What do you say to Jesus on judgment day? You say, Lord, I believed and I sought to obey. I submit to your authority. 
I admit and confess to you that I have not always done right. But I believe that you did. And that you, by your grace and your love, offer me acceptance and your righteousness. That's the answer we must give Jesus. I only have because you gave. I can only believe because of your gift. I can only enter your kingdom because you are its king. Friends, as we end Jesus' earthly ministry over the next few chapters in Matthew, something that was vague and intentionally so at its beginning has become more clear. It has been cleared up for us. And it's the answer to this question. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who Jesus is? Don't you believe him? Because he is the son of God. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will not stand for usurpers. And so Matthew 21 asks you today. It tells you the king is coming. Will you join in the cries of Hosanna? Or will you ask, why are you here? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us new hearts to cry, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Praise be to the Son of God. Praise be to the Son of David, Jesus Christ. Father, would you do this work in our own lives? as we both approach authorities and we exert the authority you have given us with humility, with meekness, and Christ-likeness. Father, encourage us today with this great and glorious truth that Jesus Christ is on his throne. He will never be displaced, and he rules and reigns for us. Therefore, we give our lives to him. We pray you would accept them through his name. Amen.